There's a line in that song that every time I sing it, it just gets to me. Oh God, let us be a generation, a generation that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. That's, like, that's our little babies and our teens and our young adults and that's the moms and dads in this room. That's a generation that would seek after the Lord. Seek after the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The true God. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight is seeking after God fully in our lives as a congregation, as a witness to this community, as a witness to the ones that are around us, as a witness to our children, this God of Jacob, high and lifted up. Tonight we're going to be talking about what happens after the cross, what takes place once salvation has come. I'll tell you a little story to begin. I, when I went to Bible college, I got saved in a, in a Baptist church, went to the front um, on, a, on a morning. There wasn't even an altar call. A pastor was just preaching, and I came to the front and gave my life to Jesus. And then I started not long after that. I went to Bible college, and to get into Bible college, you do this test, this Bible test. It, it's a Bible knowledge test, and uh, I remember just walking in, and they hand you this booklet, and you sit down, and you write this big exam. And I was terrified. I sat down, and they was talking about all these huge words that I couldn't even pronounce, and those were like names in the Bible. And then, then we got to doctrine, and I, I didn't understand any of that. And we had three hours to write the exam, and I took all three hours, and I was picking like Henry. Henry was a, a disciple, and Tom, Tom, that sounds like a Bible name. Okay, Tom is a disciple, because it said name the 12 and pick them. And I was just... Oh, it was very stressful, and then I left, and the next week I came back, and if you're a student, you get a student number, so they don't actually put your name, they just put your number, and I was second from the last, and I remember the guy sitting beside me just wrote his name on it and left. So I knew nothing of the Bible, and I struggled for so long after I came to know the Lord with salvation. Am I really saved? Does God really love me? And when I, when I mess up, does that mean I lose my salvation, that God walks away from me? And that's a, a big thing. That's a big thing today. Most people, when you're watching blogs or if someone posts something, they'll always come back with that question. Well, does that mean I'm saved? Or does that mean that God doesn't love me? That's the big topic. But not many people talk about what happens after you're saved. What is the process? What is the walk? We call it sanctification or the process of sanctification or progressive sanctification being made into the likeness of Christ. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Actually, we, this summer we camped out in a whole passage or a whole book uh, with the teens and young adults at Camp Samac. Pastor Dwayne, before he left, got us to talk in Second Peter and look through that. And this, this summer, we've been spending every week looking through that book, studying it. I learned so much just by looking through this passage and studying the life of Peter, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you got your Bibles or an app, why don't you turn to 2 Peter with me, and we're going to be working through 1, um, one through 9. 1 through 9. Simon Peter, a servant and the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, to knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadiness and steadiness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sin. This is the word of God. We're going to be concentrating on the passages or the verses between 5 and 7. And in, in the NIV version, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and mutual affection love. And as the church, as we gather together each week and as we grow in the likeness of Christ, there are things that we do that we can do that will grow us into the likeness of Christ. So when people are looking at you, are they seeing the real Jesus? As a Christian, after salvation, what do you do? What are the things that you do to grow in the likeness of Christ? Was, yesterday we, were, we had a, a barbecue in Nonquan and this lady, I met this lady and she had a dog and I was talking to her and the dog, I was talking to the dog, oh, so cute, talking to her dog and, and she told me that she had a couple, she has kids and school started on Tuesday. She's like, I can't wait for school to start on Tuesday. And this actually scared me. I'm like, Tuesday? That's like in a couple days. And then I was, I was thinking about that as she was talking and I'm like, I, I don't think we're ready. I don't think we're ready for school. I like school to come. My kids are going back off. We're going to have some order and some structure and some stuff in our lives that it's, it's going to make it a lot easy, easier. And as we finished up the conversation, I, I walked over, and Jen was the first one I talked to, and I'm like, Jen, do you know that school starts on Tuesday? She's like, no, no, it's next Tuesday. I'm like, oh, okay, so at least got a week and a little bit. And I was thinking, am I ready for this? And I began to think, is my wife ready for this? Because she's the one that will have to go shopping and get everything ready. And then after we got home, she said, we're ready. Everything's done. So she was doing things behind the scenes. But this is one of these things, as we, as we know things are coming, like the fall and like school, we get ready. We get prepared. We add things. We get things done so that we know. We plan out. But do we plan? Do we plan with God when we're growing? Do we actually sit down and say, what am I going to do in my life so that I'm going to grow this season? Is it, is it just, I'm going to read my Bible, which is amazing. You should always be in the Word of God. Am I going to pray? Am I going to join a new small group at the church? What are the things that we actually do to actually plan and grow in the likeness of Christ? And do we do it? Most often, we're fine with salvation. I know I'm saved, and I know God's going to make me into the likeness of Christ. But Peter is writing to these elect. If you read the first Peter, he sends out letters to all these churches and all these people that are leading churches and, and doing these great things, and he's encouraging them. So Peter is not writing to the unsaved in this at this point. He's writing to people who know God. They have faith in him. They believe in the power of Jesus Christ. They believe that God raised them from the dead. So these people are the ones that are walking with God. And to us in this room, that's us. 
the majority of this room right now are the people who are walking with God. They love Jesus. They have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They know that he has been raised from the dead. We, we stake our claim on it. But what do you do after that? Well, Peter begins to instruct, that, instruct in this passage that are, there are things that we can do. Now, this is just not a laundry list of things that you can go through. This is something for the believer that will never end. It's not like once I get this, then I'm done. This is one of these things that are these, these qualities and these traits that we add to our life that we'll jump into and we'll go through and we'll break those down in a few minutes. But these are these things that will last for our whole life until God comes back or until we go to meet him and we are in the glorified state. So some of these things that we're gonna talk about tonight, they're for the sanctified, for us being sanctified into the image, into the likeness of Christ. He also, Peter is also calling for diligent, discipled, lifelong effort on the part of the Christian. When was the last time someone told you that? When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes away your sin, he gives you new life. But, but you're also called to a diligent, discipled, lifelong effort that you don't just get to check out when you don't feel good or when things get rough, that you're in for the long haul. We talked that last week when I preached, I talked about uh, God will never leave us or forsake us and he's with us in the wilderness and he's with us with these big, big challenges that are going on and he's always leading and guiding. And we need to be remembered we need, or we need to remember these things because we're a forgetful people. But Peter is calling for diligent, discipled, lifelong effort on the part of the Christian. So when we look at verse 5, it, when it goes in for this very reason, and then he gives us the list, this, a, this is a discipleship text which requires discipline and self-denial. It is a challenge to every Christian for all the days of our lives. No Christian ever works his way through the text to move on to other pursuits. Like, if, if this was all you had, you could live here and grow in these traits, and you would be okay. Because when you think about it, this summer I, get to, I got to challenge and look at the life of Peter. And when, if you know anything about Peter, he was very boastful in the beginning. Jesus walks by. He's one of Jesus' first disciples. He leaves the business. It says, he says, come and follow me. And that's, that's letting go of all your, if you've ever seen those TLC shows like Wicked Tuna, that's a lot of equipment, that's a lot of gear, that's a lot of investment, and he leaves it and leaves with Jesus. He's very boastful, very doing all these things. He's the guy that walks out on the water. But when we get to this text, this is at Peter, close to Peter's end of his life. And when you start to look and read at the qualities and what he's doing, he's trying to pour out to others. He's trying to overflow what he has and what he's learned onto others. And he's pouring out this legacy so others can be built up in Christ. It's not really about him anymore. It's about Jesus. It's not about him being made known or look at me anymore. It's about, do you know Jesus and what he can do for your life? And as he writes these letters, he's trying to encourage the believers and here today, we take that same passage and we pour it out just for each of us so that we can be encouraged. Look around in your life. Who's encouraging you? Who's pouring out on you? Who's overflowing into your life? Are you part of a community group? Do you have someone to talk to when you're facing struggle? Is it someone in your family? Because this is the thing that these apostles are trying to do. Peter does it. Paul does it. 
Paul takes a, a young guy, young pastor under his wing and starts teaching him how to be a pastor. Who's doing that in your life? Maybe you're not called to be a pastor, but you are called to follow Jesus in your, fully in your life. Diligently, discipled, lifelong effort. The Christian efforts are based on the sovereignty of God and the sufficiency of his provision. Verses one through four tell us this. Peter has already laid the foundation of the, of the Christian ex, extension. In verses one through four, Peter emphasizes the sovereignty of God in salvation. Salvation has been accomplished by God through Christ apart from human works or merit. Peter also stresses the sufficiency of God's provision for our salvation and sanctification. God has provided all that, all that is necessary for life and godliness. We see that in verse 3, that life and godliness and the pursuit of holiness is all on God, and he can do that in your life. And he wants to change you. He wants to make you new. Went to Starbucks at the, is it called the Oshawa Center? I'm still learning the names of like, we got five points in the, okay, Oshawa Center. Well, they have a Starbucks in there, Indigo. So I, when I get my hair cut, I always get a coffee and I was talking to the manager in there one day because he was actually just sitting at Starbucks drinking a coffee. So I was standing in line, long line, he was there, and I talked to him and I, I just said, how's your day going? And we got chatting and I asked him, what is the most popular sec section here? And he said, self-help, the self-help section and teen fiction. He says, those two, they, they're the top, teen fiction and self-help. And that got me thinking, why is self-help so popular? Why do people tune in every day to watch Dr. Phil? Because people want to change. They want to, they want to be renewed. Nobody wants to be the same. And that's the same with God. See, people don't know that they, they, they all know they want to change. They just don't know how. And God's like, okay, when you meet my son, Jesus Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. You're going to change. Things are going to happen. But some of us, some of us will just hang out. And we'll just drink the milk of the cross. We'll stay at the cross. Well, I know that Jesus died for my sins and that's it. But there's more. I once talked about turning your back on the cross. And I know I actually had a deacon's meeting after I preached that sermon. They came to me and said, how dare you say turn, the turn your back on the cross? And I said, well, as believers, we're running to the cross and then when we fully understand salvation and what Jesus com has come to do in our lives, we begin to take this next step. So our back is towards the cross and we begin to put the cross on our back and take it with us. We begin to carry the cross. Salvation is not the main point. We don't dwell over salvation anymore. We look for the qualities of what God is gonna do in our lives and how he's gonna renew us and make us new. And that's what Peter is talking about here tonight. And we're gonna start with this list right here. The first thing that he says is faith. In verse five, faith. The first characteristic of the growing Christian has a uniqueness to it. The Christian is not instructed to supply faith. Faith is given. Faith is something that God pours out. I did this illustration with the young adults and youth a couple weeks ago when we talked through this passage. When I first, um, well, I'm just gonna jump right into it. My wife makes cakes. She makes all these crazy, awesome decorated cakes and I'll come home and there's like a four level cake and it's colorful and there's all these different things in it. And I always wonder like, how do you do that? And I never pay attention long enough to actually see the completed thing. But I always, I'm always around for the base. So the base is putting everything in the bowl. 
It's the ingredients. If you don't have the, the ingredients and if you don't put them in the right way, you're not gonna get a good cake. So faith is not the ingredients, but it's like the bowl. Faith is the bowl and everything else goes into it. And what Peter is saying, that faith is what God gives us because he's talking to the believers because we already have faith. We already know that Jesus has died on our behalf. We already know that he has been risen from the dead and that we will rise too. So faith is given, but this is something upon which the Christian builds. According to Peter, faith is given. And for the readers of this epistle, those are those who have received a faith of the kind as ours, as it says in verse one. Faith is something we have received, not something we are to supply, because faith is a gift from God. As faith is the base, that's our believing, that's our, our beginning, that's our coming to know the Lord. But there are things that we can add to our life so that we can be more like Christ. And he starts with this list of attributes, list of traits that we can do. And the next, and the next one is goodness. Add to faith goodness. And so what is goodness? I began to look at this. I'm like, okay, what is goodness? What is goodness in the eyes of God? Well, it's the pursuit of God. This is the seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. If we believe that Jesus is king, then he must have a kingdom. Our pursuit is to know who, to, our pursuit is to know who is in charge of the kingdom and how we are as citizens are to live in that kingdom and thrive in that kingdom and participate in that kingdom. And that begins with goodness. So these are the good things of God. We see this right at the first of the Bible. Jesus saw that it was, that it was good. What is he looking at that is good? What is it for us? It's coming to church, being in the fellowship of believers. It's reading his word and being instructed. It's praying, developing that closeness with God, relying on him. It's drawing closer to him as he draws closer to you. That are the good things. See, we have the faith in Jesus Christ and then we add the goodness to it, these good things. And as we begin to plan our lives out, as we begin to plan our seeds out, what good things are you adding so that you will grow into the image of Christ? What are they? What good things are you adding so that when God calls upon your life, you're ready for his kingdom? You're ready, you're active, you're moving. What are the good things? Peter continues and add, he says, from faith add goodness and from goodness add knowledge. In our former state as unbelievers, we were not knowledgeable, we were ignorant. As obedient children, do not conform to the formal lusts which were yours in your ignorance. The solution to our ignorance is having our minds transformed with the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge which comes from the scriptures and is communicated through the Holy Spirit. I remember when I graduated, I couldn't wait to that last week where when you get to go back and you get to write that test again. So they, they give you that test when you go into Bible college and they just surprise you with it. But then as you develop, as you learn the Bible, you know that test is coming. And I remember, like, I was excited. I was telling Laura, I'm like, that test is coming. Like, I was like number two from the bottom. And, and, and I didn't even study. I'm like, I'm not even studying. Because if I didn't do this right, then I shouldn't be a pastor. I shouldn't be in ministry if I don't know these things. And I went in there and I didn't make it to number one or number two, but I was in the top 10 and I was excited. And I went and looked at my little number, my 4962, and I moonwalked and I danced all the way out because I at least learned something. I knew Tom was not an apostle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, uh, 
Uh, let's go with a nif- different name. Dave. Dave is not an apostle. Okay. But I learned something, and that is the knowledge of God. So you're adding to your faith goodness, these good things, and then you're adding knowledge. And what is that knowledge? That comes from the word of God. That's diving in. That's getting into your Bible studies. That is your personal relationship with God. Bradley, a couple weeks ago, we were, maybe last week, we were doing a study, and he says, I've been, I've been starting this thing where I'm getting up every day and beginning with God. And then before I go to bed, I close with God. I've been doing these new devotions just so that I'm starting my day right and I'm ending my day right. And that is in the word of God. So we were talking about living a holy life, a life that's driven by the spirit so that we can be navigated and just living in this world that is broken and dark, but knowing we're in the power of God. And we asked for personal examples and he came up with that one. He's like, this is what I'm doing. He's like, I'm just beginning my day with God. I'm ending my day with God and I'm traveling throughout the day with God. This is, this is the knowledge. I remember as a young Christian, and I'm not, I'm not an old Christian, I'm just a middle Christian, I guess. I'm just middle now. But as a young Christian, I used to struggle with the basic things. These basic things about how God would love me and he would take away my sin from far as the east is from the west. And in my mind, I knew the scripture, but in my heart, I thought he only took it from the east to like six steps. It never went all the way to the west. It didn't go across town. It didn't go way over there. It just went like six steps and it was still there. And I would let let it hover over me and I'd, I'd let it beat me down. And I remember when I would struggle with these things in my life, I, I, I know this is weird, so don't judge me on this, but I, I really talk to God in the shower. It's like, because when you got three kids and, and everything is, like when I get in the shower, there's nobody there. Like that's my little, I pull the curtain and I'm just like, hot water, Jesus. And it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to him and I'm pouring these things out. And I used to have these fights with Jesus in the shower. And I'd be talking out loud and my wife would be knocking on the door. You okay in there? Everything okay? Yep, just dealing with some issues. Should we call someone? <laughs> because I wasn't knowledgeable in what God was doing. I, was, I just had the basic things. And with, when you just have the basic things, you don't have the full understanding. I don't know if we ever understand God. He's so mysterious and he just lets us have these little tiny peaks of what he's doing. But there are things that we can learn. There are things that we can use and apply to our life. But if you just stay at the milk, if you just stay, stay just at the cross of salvation, you're gonna struggle, you're gonna hurt. You're not gonna understand the big things that God really wants for your life. You're not gonna know how to participate in the kingdom. You're not going to know how to be able to move from left to right when he needs you to move. You're just going to be at this place where you're, str- you're struggling with the sin that's in your life. Or you're struggling with this issue or you're struggling with this thing and we're not really giving it up to God. And we can overcome that as we get in a pursuit with Jesus Christ. If we go after him fully, he begins to reveal, reveal things. This is also doctrinal, doctrinal knowledge, a knowledge revealed in scripture, which is, clearly, which is clear biblical support. Beginning to know doctrine, getting around people who love doctrine. Ryan Legg, I don't know if he's here today, I know he's getting ready for school, but this guy loves, loves theology. I, a couple weeks ago, we were at two, I think it was 2.30 in the morning. We were just pouring over issues and just working it out. Like, iron and sharpening iron, just like, what does this mean? And he's coming at me, and I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't mean that. And then he would pour something out, and then I'm like, 
oh, Brian, thank you. That's good. Like, this guy is really brilliant. He's going off to Bible college. He's going to be a, a smart, I'm going to learn a lot from that guy. He's just going to pour in, and I, I'm just glad I know him because I'm going to say, Dr. Ryan, come pour into me some more theology. It's doctrinal knowledge. It's getting around those people that know a little bit more than you might know. I'm always asking Pastor Rick questions. I think I bug him sometimes. I'll just walk into his office, and when he's, he's on his computer and he's studying his Bible, I'm like, Pastor Rick, can I ask you a question? Come in, son. <laughs> that, that makes me feel good because my dad never said that, but Pastor Rick, I look up to him, and he's just, come in, what do you got? So it's, it's faith, and it's adding goodness, and it's adding knowledge. This next one, self-control. This is important, and I believe Peter put it in there for a reason because we all struggle with self-control. William Barclay informs us that the term rendered self-control means literally to take a grip of oneself. And I said this to the youth and young adults a few weeks ago. I said, what do you need to get a grip in, on in your life? Because sometimes there are things that are out of control. And we got to reel those back in. We really have to get a grip on them. So when you get a grip on something, you're holding that tight. Going back to my fishing story. I know, it's my glory day. When Steve gave, Pastor Steve gave me the fish, he said, grip it tight. I remember because it scared me. And I, I think I was choking the circulation off in the fish because I had this thing tight and it couldn't get away. I was holding it and I, I pressed it against my body so I was gripping it and hugging it and smelling like fish and it was bleeding on me. So I, I was like this and it was all, I'm like, is this supposed to happen? He's like, yeah, you're good. I'm like, did he pee on me? Ugh. But sometimes you have to get a grip on the things that are going on in our life and sometimes you have to hold them close. And this is what the self-control, and I know that Peter put this in, the, in his letter because there are things in our life that we can let allow temptation and sin to get a hold of, leading us away from Christ, making us feel defeated. Many in this room, sometimes in their life, feel defeated because things are out of control. As unbelievers, we are dominated by our physical appetites, enslaved as we are to them. But as obedient children, do not conform to the former lusts which are yours in your ignorance. And you were dead in your trans trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of, of the power, the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In Ephesians 2, 1, 3, we find that. But we have been delivered from the bondage to the of the flesh. Sin uses the flesh to keep us in bondage. Satan and the world encourage us to live according to the flesh. But being a child of God requires that we no longer, we no longer lust after the flesh, but live in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the things that are all over us that we need to get a grip on, we need to get a grip on these things that are, that are out of control. And where do we need to take them? Right back to the cross. That's what Jesus died for, so that we could be renewed, so that we could live in peace with him and in harmony with him. So we take these things, we get a grip on them, we carry them right back to Jesus and we put them on him. Even if you're struggling with things right now, just take them and take them back to the cross. Take them back to the king who died for you so that you could live. 
self-control. The next thing that Peter writes to the believers, he says, perseverance and faith brings us into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Goodness seeks the character of God as the standard and the goal of our character. Knowledge describes what God is like and what we should be like as well. Self-control enables us to curb our physical passions and to make our bodies servants of the will of God. And the next character trait is perseverance. It enables us to persist in our pursuit of godly character even when we suffer for doing so. We talk about in this world, we will suffer. There will be trials and temptations and things that feel like we will not overcome and you need to persevere through them. Holding tight to Christ. Holding tight to the knowledge. Holding tight to the things that you're getting a grip on. Holding tight to the goodness of Jesus. And you're holding those things by your faith and persevere. The hardest part in our life is persevere. There are times when we just want to give up. But I say, don't give up. Go tell. Many of us as Christians, we suffer in silence. We suffer with things that are going on because we're scared of what people will think as we're growing. So we will hide the things that are going on. We won't tell our spouses. We won't tell our pastors. We won't tell them until it's, we're at the breaking point. And then we, then we, we, we try to get the help. When you're going through those things, you gotta tell people. If you come to somebody, if you come to a brother and you're struggling and they, they look down on you, well, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry if you've ever struggled and you went to another brother or sister for help and they looked down on you or they dropped the ball or they didn't walk alongside you, I'm sorry for that. Because of the church, as the church, we are to uphold each other. We are to help each other. We are to walk beside each other and we are to share each other's burdens. Perseverance. And perseverance moves into my favorite. In the NIV, it says brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness, it's the love saints should have for one another as fellow believers. It is a love based in part on what we share in communion with the one we love. There's a certain element that when we come together, it should be a rejoicing. Like Sunday morning coming in, I know we come to worship God, but we see each other. And then after church, how we fellowship in our homes. And as Pastor Keith, sorry, I'm gonna use you as an illustration, but my kids came home yesterday, we were playing at the park and they said, Pastor Keith played soccer with us and it was amazing. My little Bella talked about Pastor Keith for like a half an hour, just about, he kicked the ball and then I kicked it back and then he ran after me and then it was great and then he scored and I scored. Brotherly love, a simple soccer game. This also talks about the breaking of bread and the teaching. This talks about the church coming together in community. This fall as we kick off discipleship. You need to be here. You need to be in a small group. You need to tell somebody that's not here, that's in your circle, to get plugged into a community group because that's what brotherly love is about. It's about the coming together. It's about rejoicing in the Lord. It's about helping each other when we struggle, and we will. It's about being honest before the Lord and before your brothers and sisters. I know it sounds a little scary. We have to be a little vulnerable with each other. 
But the more that you do that, the more that you will grow in the likeness of Christ and the more that you will rely on his strength and his power when troubles and trials come, that's when you will persevere because you know that you're not alone. You have somebody. You have Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, but you also have a church that loves you and cares about you. And this church is a church like that. Every day I see people walking in, people looking through glass and coming in and getting saved, their whole family getting saved and being baptized. God's up to something in this church. And people are coming left and right and new stories are being developed and people are growing deeper in the love of Jesus Christ. And we're on a mission together. And brotherly love is a part of that. So if you feel alone, you feel like you're not connecting, you come talk to one of the pastors and we'll hook you up because there is a bunch of people that will want to love on you. There's always people in this church that are saying, how can we love on someone else? I've never seen a church like this. They really do care for people. That's a good thing. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, brotherly kindness. And the last thing that Peter lists is love, and this love is agape love, which might be called the highest love. It is also the capstone of all the virtues the Christian should pursue. It starts with faith and it ends with love, and this is the big love. In friendship, the partner seeks mutual solace. In sexual love, eros, mutual satisfaction. In both cases, these feelings are aroused because of what, uh, because of what the loved one is. With agape, agape love, it is the reverse. It's God, God's agape is evoked by what we are. Not what we are, but what he is. It has its origin in the agent, not in the, in the object. And this is the love that we should strive for, the fear of God, knowing that he is, he is just, the, the, the love of God, knowing that he has been poured, he's been pouring himself out for us so that we may live, so that we may be set apart, so that we may not just dwell on salvation, but move towards the end goal, being moved and shaped into the likeness of Christ, so that we may be kingdom shakers. The kingdom of God exists, and it's in our midst. It's all around us. We have a king that is leading us. He's guiding us. He's always talking. But are we listening? Are we, are we noticing what he's saying? Are we looking at the seasons and how they're changing and how God is pulling and changing and, and, and growing people? And are you a part of that? Because if you read in the Bible, right after our great qualities it says this in verse eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sin. The word of God is telling us that these things need to increase and it keeps us from being ineffective. It gives us a job to do gives us something to be a part of. Yesterday, we, I did something I've never done before. Uh, I hooked a trailer to a truck. <laughs> you were thinking something huge, right? <laughs> All night, I didn't sleep because I was terrified that when I took a corner, I thought the trailer would, I'd have to, Jordan said, make big turns. So all night I was up thinking that if I take a turn, I'm gonna T-bone and kill someone with this trailer. I really thought that. So I went to bed thinking, 
God, just let me sleep. And I didn't all night thinking, please don't let me hurt somebody tomorrow with this trailer. So seven o'clock in the morning, I get up, kiss my wife out the door. I went really early to pick up this trailer thinking nobody would be on the street and I was wrong. <laughs> Everybody was out on the street. So I get down there and we get the trailer hooked up and I'm driving and I'm like, this is not bad. This is okay. I'm doing this. So we go and we have a great barbecue and a great day and I'm taking the trailer back and I'm, I'm thanking Jesus the whole way down. Like, God, I was, so, I was so upset. I was so worried and you provided. You were there. And then I get there and I tried to take the trailer off. There's no dice. I could not figure out how to do this. And I was, it was like half an hour. And I, there was a guy across the street and he took a picture of me because I think he thought I was breaking in. And, and then I got worried. And then I'm like, the cops are gonna come, which is okay, because they'll help me. So I was hoping the cops would come and then no cops came. So I called Brett. <laughs> I said, Brett, are you still at the church? Or I texted Brett, are you still at the church? Yes. I'm still here. I need help, brother. <laughs> What's wrong? I have no clue how to take a trailer off. So he goes, oh, it's easy. FaceTime me. The FaceTime wouldn't work, and then Jordan was trying to FaceTime me. I'm like, why won't this work? I need help. And I'm praying out loud, and then Brett shows up. He's like, man, let me do this for you. It's really easy. But the trailer wouldn't, un <laughs> it wouldn't go down. So he's like, oh, what are we going to do? So he jacks it up, gets it off. You're good. I hug him. We talk. Everything's good. So sometimes you need knowledge and sometimes you need brotherly love and sometimes you need help in situations. That's where God's people come in. But as I was driving down to the church or to the place where I was dropping it off, I drove by a church that's on Ritson. I'm not gonna name it. But I was going by and I seen a sign that really broke my heart. On the sign, it said, Kids Self-Empowerment Camps, $150 call Carl. I want to call Carl. <laughs> Kids empowerment camps. Like you can go to a camp to be empowered. On a church sign, I'm thinking, why isn't Jesus empowering us? Why isn't the Spirit empowering us? Why isn't that the thing that leads our life, leads our city? Why isn't Jesus the main focus on the sign? I'm not holding this, that against the church. It's just when I seen that, it really made me think. The world doesn't want us to be made in the image of Jesus Christ. It doesn't want us to pursue godliness. It doesn't want that. It wants us to pursue ourselves. And it wants our, our children to be encouraged and empowered by themselves. But God has a different plan for us. And if we would press in, as we would put this into our life and look, look for the next steps of how we're gonna grow, your life will change and you will be active for the kingdom. And the person you are right now will not be the person you are in a little bit when you put these qualities into play. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this night. Thank you for the ability to come into here and to gather brotherly love, to add knowledge into our life, to think about the things we need to get a grip on, to pursue your goodness, to leave knowing we're loved. God, we thank you for these things. We, I thank you for Peter 
that at the end of his life, he wanted to make a point that poured everything back to you so that we could learn. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his word. And I thank you that you have a plan for each of our lives that we're not just to dwell on salvation, but we're supposed to take salvation into our life and into our heart, share it with others and grow in a pursuit after you. So God, I thank you for uh, your great plan and I thank you for the lives that are here. And I pray that we would seek after you in fullness. Like Brad in the morning, that we would begin our day with you and we would end our day with you and seek you throughout the whole day. We look forward to what you're gonna do in this community and in this church. We know you're changing lives every single day. We thank you that you are. We love you. You're our God. In your name we pray, amen. Have a blessed night. Thank you.